Hi, this is Pete McCall of the All About Fitness Podcast. Now, with this interview today, with this episode, this is a bonus episode. I was super excited about it because I had been working for a long time to try to get this guest. We had been working on the schedule. She's very hard to connect with. She's extremely busy. She's going all over the place. You know, she's a superstar in the world of online or, or you know, kind of in the virtual world of fitness. We had a killer interview, a killer conversation. I'm using a new platform and I am not going to use them anymore. I don't know what happened on my end. Number one, I got hit record a little bit late. It's a new, it's a new system. So I kind of caught Jill in the middle of talking about the benefits of sprinting and why she likes sprinting so much. But then I don't know what happened. My mic cut out on me. I have Jill's audio track perfect. So what I do today on All About Fitness is I interview Jill Coleman. Jill is a fitness expert. She's a writer. She's been a model. She's been a competitor. And she is well known for probably being one of the leading influencers out there who just has it dialed in. She has great programs. I've been following her feed on Instagram. And she just does a lot. She puts a lot of killer content out there. Men, women, she just puts a lot of killer stuff out there. And I see that and I'm like, I wanted to talk to her because I wanted to ask her a few questions. Number one, about the type of business she runs. What's it like to be an internet coach? Number two, Jill is one of these leaders and has been one of these leaders in this whole body positivity movement. And what I mean by that is for years we know this, that certain genders out there, i.e. women, you know, genders used to be only two and that's changing. Women traditionally have been fearful of lifting weights for whatever reason. It can be perceived. It can be real. Who knows? But I've been working in fitness for years, for two decades. And one of the things I hear a lot from women is I don't want to lift heavy because I don't want to get bulky. Well, a reason why I'm a fan of somebody like Jill is Jill is out there breaking that paradigm, talking about, hey, don't worry about weightlifting. If you're female, don't worry about weightlifting. Weightlifting provides many benefits. And one of the things that, that we talk about, and I'll explain what I'm going to do here in a minute. One of the things we talk about was recently I was in the car with my kids and my kids saw, saw an older adult there. The, the older adult had a walker. I think it was an older man. And my older daughter said, Daddy, why do, why do old people use walkers? Why do they use canes? And my response was, well, probably they didn't exercise enough when they were younger. They probably didn't do strength training. They probably weren't active. Now, there are a myriad of reasons. There are thousands of reasons why somebody might use a walker or a cane. But my observation is, my observation is that a lot of people that are older not going to define that, but a lot of people that are older that use a walker, use a cane, look like their appearances, they may not have been that active or may not have had a physically active life. And I mean that. So one of the things that Jill and I talk about is we talk about the benefits of strength training, not just from an appearance standpoint, but from an overall, just a quality of life standpoint. Because strength training is one of the things that can truly add quality of life and add years to your life. You know, it's one thing to do cardio. It's one thing to do just regular exercise, but strength training gives you options. Strength training gives you choices. Strength training gives you freedom for what you can do. If you understand how to strength train properly, if you have the mindset to work hard by lifting weights, almost anything else becomes easier. So that's what Jill and I talk about today. Now, what happened is again, my audio track cut out. Jill's audio tracks are, are awesome. So on this interview, I'm going to try to recreate the interview with Jill Coleman. So I'm going to re-ask the questions that I asked, and I'm going to splice in Jill's answers. So it may sound a little bit choppy today. In fact, it will sound a little bit choppy today, but I wanted to save these tracks. I wanted to save the audio tracks. We had an awesome conversation. I have no idea what I did. However, I am not going to use that program anymore because it cut out my audio track. And I can't tell you how frustrating it is to have a killer conversation with an awesome person like Jill Coleman 
only to listen to it and realize that half the conversation wasn't recorded. So on this episode of All About Fitness, this is a bonus episode of All About Fitness. No advertisements because I'm going to be doing a lot of work to try to edit my conversation with superstar Jill Coleman. Now, the first thing we did was we pick up with the first question I asked was I asked Jill why she's such a big fan of sprinting. I've seen a few Instagram that she posts, a few Instagram posts that she's done. She's talked about the benefits of sprinting. So I'm not going to spike the interview because it's great content, but I pick her up. You're going to hear her start talking about sprinting. I pick her up in mid-conversation because I was slow to hit record. I made a mistake. I didn't hit record right away, but I'm going to filter in and I'm going to edit in the rest of the conversation. So get ready, put your feet back and get ready for a killer conversation with the Jill Coleman. And like keeping it there for 45 minutes. Like that's not too, I mean, it's fun. I consider that more fun exercise versus being effective at physique change or even cardiovascular implications. And so yes, they love it once they get there because they know they don't have to be in, in the gym for a long time. There's kind of this inverse relationship between intensity and duration. And so it's kind of nice to go, okay, I can go to the gym for 20 minutes, 30 minutes and know that I got an effective workout because I pushed harder. And I find with my clients that are a little bit older or getting older, you know, for them, I mean, we're, they're busy. And so the idea that they're going to be in the gym for an hour or two hours is just ridiculous. They're just going to say, why bother? They're not going to go at all. But like this kind of this rest-based training really gives them permission to to err on the side of a short workout. I'm actually doing a workout challenge right now on Instagram called Physique Week, and all the workouts are 20 minutes or less. And so even some of the 10-minute workouts that are included people are like, wow, I can't believe how much work I got done in 10 minutes. And you need to give people that experience so that they go, okay, I don't need to do this old school kind of running and jogging and aerobics. I can actually get an effective workout, especially effective weight training workout in only 10, 15, 20 minutes. Jill used the sprinting challenge as a component of one of her Instagram challenges. So my next question was to ask her about Instagram challenges and why she likes using them so much. Yeah, I love Instagram challenges so much. And so, and by the way, just like as an aside, like we're in the tech, we're in tech, right? We're like, we're fitness people, we're fit health and fitness people. So I've, I'm in the same boat with you. I've done this a million times for like, you know, forgot to start something or whatever. So this is normal and I love it because it is so real life. Um, so yeah, so I'm doing a fitness challenge right now called physique week and it is positioned as a consistency challenge. So the idea is the goal of the challenge is to complete six short, but intense workouts over seven days. And so for a lot of the people who are in this challenge, we have about 5,000 people signed up. They are, um, you know, they're not used to exercising that much. That's quite a bit of exercise. However, all the workouts are 10 minutes, 15 minutes or 20 minutes. So the key here is for, is to give people a low stakes way to see themselves as a consistent exerciser. I think maybe they don't identify as a regular exerciser, or maybe, you know, my demographic tends to be 35 to 55. They maybe work out once or twice a week, but they kind of get off it. They'll let themselves go for a few weeks, not exercise. And so this is a chance for them to get back, get consistent. And also this added element of sharing on social media. So that's, what's really tough is, you know, Pete, you and I were in this industry. We use social media as a part of our business. So for us, it's really easy to maybe be vulnerable or share a tool or a tip or a strategy. But for the people in this challenge, this is a new kind of, it's, it's a, it's a different way of sharing this. And so there's an accountability aspect there. And so what they have to do is for six out of the seven days, they have to post on social media. They have to tag me and they have to use the hashtag physique week. And it can be a sweaty selfie. It can be a picture of, you know, the weights that they use it can be the time that they got and they have to record it. And so it adds that additional kind of public accountability element that I have found being really effective for productivity. So like, cool, if I want to put myself on the hook, I'm going to be public about it. And that's a really kind of additional element that I have found that once the week is over, people now see themselves as a regular exercise, they go, wow, I got through it. 
I've built some momentum and I have all these people kind of cheering me on and I'm getting likes and I'm getting comments and I'm actually inspiring my friends and family even to get more healthy. And so initially it's really tough for them because they go, Oh, I don't want to annoy people with my posts. I don't want to annoy people with, you know, maybe people think I, you know, think I'm something or whatever. But once you get over that, you start to scroll through. And I love kind of being on the pulse of what people are talking about on social media. And a lot of the comments that I'm seeing on these posts are like, you're so inspiring. This is inspiring me to get back to the gym, you know, good for you. This is incredible. And so the ripple effect of doing something like this and doing it on social media in a public forum is limitless. Like we don't even know. So I'm going, okay, cool. All these 5,000 people are in this challenge. And now we have access to their friends and their family who are following them. And so really the impact that we can potentially make in terms of motivating other people to get fit is just really awesome. And so, um, that's why I like doing it on a public forum versus doing it in a, for- in a closed Facebook group or doing it privately over email. Um, but it does add a little bit of an additional vulnerability element for them. The next question I had was regarding, in general, the use of social media, because really, Jill is one of these leaders who's learned how to use social media and leverage it, so she's no longer, she's not the typical trainer who might be seeing one or two people in the gym. She can work with hundreds, if not thousands of people using social media as a tool. I absolutely love social media. I mean, and I do think that there are some dark sides, and so if you're listening to this and maybe social media doesn't inspire you, or maybe it makes you feel bad about yourself, which is kind of a common, they've actually shown in research that, you know, people do tend to feel on the whole, a little bit more isolated and a little more disconnected. And I think social media is, um, playing a role in that. So for example, you know, I don't know, 10, 15, 20 years ago, if your friend from high school had a baby, you would pick up the phone and you would call them and, you know, have a conversation about it, whatever. Now we can be scrolling on our feed on Instagram, see that an old high school friend had a baby, just like that photo and then keep moving. But we feel this like very low level kind of surface level, uh, you know, interaction, but it's not real connection. And so there's definitely some, I think, dark kind of shadow aspects of social media. But in general, the thing I love the most about it is that you get to curate your feed. So for example, if you're scrolling through and you are feeling maybe not good enough, or you're feeling maybe triggered by something you're seeing on there, you can literally just mute it. You can unfollow it. You can unfriend it. You can do all those things. And so I think that there's a lot of power in curating the kind of feed that makes you feel good about yourself. So if you need to follow inspiration accounts, if you need to follow people who are more like you, maybe they're not like super shredded. I mean, I know I don't really follow a whole bunch of like competitors and things like that. Cause to me, that's not real life. That's great for them. And it's a different kind of, um, it's a different demographic, but for me, I like looking at people who are normal looking, who are fit, who are athletic, who are doing this as a lifestyle. And so I think the power to curate your feed makes it, if people aren't doing that, if you're listening to that and you do kind of feel bad, maybe looking through social, like you get to, you're in control of that. And so I like that aspect of it. And I think you just have to be self-aware. It comes down to, you know, if you start to feel yourself feeling miserable and things like that, then that's kind of on you to kind of, to shift what you're seeing. This next question was a fun one. And I'm going to talk about, this is what I'm going to talk about on the show wrap up, because there's a huge difference in what I do and what Jill does. And this is one of the reasons why I'm intrigued by Jill and many of her colleagues. So I ask her, I make the point that I've lived in the world of continuing education. So I've been influencing trainers for years who need continuing education credits to maintain their certification. Jill has become an influencer in a much different way. And that's what I ask her about in this next question. 
Uh, well, thank you for that. You know, it's just a different way of working. I don't tend to think about it like being uh, more or less. Obviously, you know, Pete, if you're in continuing ed, you've had thousands, maybe tens of thousands of people go through your courses and, and see your stuff. So a lot of times you don't see the impact that you're making because someone's just, you know, they're going through your course at home and they're not posting about it on social media. We just get the luxury of, I get the luxury of seeing the impact moment to moment on social media through followers, fans, connections, DMs, whatever that looks like. Um, and so I don't know that it's, it's necessarily better or worse. It's just different. And so really I can tell you what my aim always to do on social media is, is two things. Number one is I always want to be as relatable as possible. I want to be someone who feels people feel like, okay, if Jill lived next door to me, like we might have a glass of wine together on the porch some night. Like that's what I want people to kind of think about. I want them to think like that I am relatable, that I'm real, that they kind of know the real me. I'll meet someone at a live event and do a lot of in-person events too. And people be like, you're just like you are on social media. And I, and I love that because that's always the goal. I want to be relatable. I'm human just like anyone else. It's just, I've been doing internet business for a long time. So I have just more followers. Maybe the second thing is I try to uh, be an authority. And I think that's important too, is that you have to have a competency about you. So people feel like they might be able to learn something from you or that they might, you might be able to help them solve the issue that they're struggling with. And so you have to have both this relatedness piece so we can feel like, cool, you know, we connect, Jill gets me. She's been there. She's had these struggles too, which I totally have. And then also that I've worked through those and I have some lessons and things that I've learned on the other side, or I've, you know, worked with a lot of clients. And so I can kind of talk about best practices. People need to feel and I hope that they do feel that there's a competency about me, but also a relatedness. And so for me, I'm constantly balancing that between, you know, sharing tools, tactics, strategies, solutions, and then at the same time, sharing my struggles and sharing the things that have that, uh, you know, that I'm going through or have gone through and what I've learned as a result of those to show the kind of hu- human side of things. In doing my research, I read in Jill's bio that she was first motivated to start exercising when she joined a gym or she started working in a gym when she was a teenager. So I asked her about that. What, what motivated her to start exercise as a teenager? And does, has that changed for teenage girls today? I love that question. Yeah, I was, you know, I mean, I was really lucky that I fell in love with fitness at a very young age and it was mostly because I was interested in dance. So it was right around like when step or like step aerobics and rebuff step Reebok and um, what was the other one? Like Jane Fonda and stuff were like still pretty big in like the eighties and early nineties. And I loved dance so much that it was like a natural progression into more of these dance type classes like step aerobics. And I was doing my mom's Jane Fonda tapes when I was like nine years old. And so I think for me, I always loved music and I loved the way that you could sweat and I loved the way that felt. And I was lucky enough to get that experience through doing sports. Um, and so when it came, when I was old enough to start lifting at the gym, I started going to the gym to go to the aerobics classes. I was doing step aerobics. I was doing floor aerobics, kickboxing, all this kind of stuff. I loved it. And then at the end of that, I would go down and lift. And I had a good friend of mine, my best friend in high school, who was trying to get a basketball scholarship and her dad, you know, made her basically shoot for like an hour a day. And he told her she needed to start going to the gym. And at this point we're 15 years old and no one else was going to the gym. No other high school girls were going to like a, an actual gym. They maybe have like a little weight room or something like that in their school, but we were going to the gym, got a membership and we just went down there. It was all like 45 year old dudes and us. And I don't know that I would have started had I not had a friend with me. Cause it's a little intimidating and we didn't know what to do. We had no idea what to do. So we're watching other people and just mimicking what they're doing. And this place had a little circuit of machines. And we literally just went from one machine to the next. I don't even know what muscle group I was working, but you just go from like one machine to the next, put some weight on there as heavy as you possibly can three sets of 12, right? Cause I read that in a magazine somewhere and that's what you did. And that's, I did the same circuit like three times a, a week. And what happened was because 
you're in such like a high hormonal state as a teenager. I started gaining muscle like very quickly within like probably six months. I had like all these delts and I had a back and all this kind of stuff. And I, and my friend did too. And we, we both kind of looked at it like almost prideful. Like we're just like, this is really cool that we were able to kind of change. And I had the experience of being able to change my body as a result of lifting. Um, and so we kind of looked at it like a badge of honor. Like we were stronger than other kids our age or something like that. We even kind of joked like, Oh, let's go try our new muscles and get in a house party fight or whatever. You know, we never did of course, but it was like a joke. And we just love the way that it made us feel. And so in terms of how to make it accessible or even uh, desirable for someone who's 15, 16, I think if you're into athletics, you'd be more likely to kind of see that that way. And I just liked feeling like a strong person in the world. I like feeling like a strong person. I loved feeling like I had some competency, that I was um, confident. I remember just you know, my shoulders back, my chin up, my chest out. Like I could just feel even my posture changing the more I had that experience. And so... I really enjoyed feeling that way. And it translates into how you see yourself mindset wise, doesn't it? So like your body changes and you also feel more competent as an individual to try other things. And so I had that experience really early on and just got hooked. For this next question, I asked her specifically about weight training. She got interested in weights as a teenager. A lot of us did, but I asked her specifically because you do have this stereotype of so many women, Jill's age and older, Jill's age and young, but you have this stereotype of so many women who just aren't comfortable picking up weights. So I asked Jill to talk a little bit about how she got interested in strength training and what some of the benefits of strength training or weightlifting are for women. Honestly, like I lift weights now because I like feeling strong, but I mean, and I, like you said, you don't need to lift super heavy weights, but there's an aesthetic that, you know, and I got this from Jen Sinclair. She says, weight training and having muscle on your body tells people about your value system without having to say anything. And so I really enjoy walking into a public place like a mall or amusement park and, ha- and, ha- and looking fit. Like to me, I want people to know that like I-, I take pride in, in my physique and I take pride in staying healthy. And honestly, Pete, like as people are getting older, like thirties, forties, fifties and beyond, like you can't afford to not weight train. It's just uh, from a structural perspective and from a health perspective, you're going to be more healthy. The longer, the more muscle you have on your frame, uh, the longer you have it. And so if you're listening to this and you're like, gee, should I add muscle or not? And I don't think it's automatically like you're going to just appear large. Like you're not going to immediately look like a lineman or something. Like you definitely can add muscle slowly, but what it's going to do is it's going to increase your metabolism. It's actually easier to stay leaner, the more muscle you have on your frame. And so like I always say, like muscle maturity really is a thing. Like I said, I was lucky in my teens to start putting on a good amount of muscle, but now I don't really have to exercise that much. I exercise for maybe like 20 minutes, 30 minutes max a day. And my clothes fit and I'm able to maintain. And I think for people, they think, oh, you're going to, um, you know, just blow up and you're going to be like, you're going to have to get all these, you know, additional jacket sizes and all this kind of stuff. And maybe a little bit at the beginning, but it tapers off. Your metabolism evens out. It does, your body is extremely intelligent. And that reset point is like, you're going to be able to stay leaner. It's going to be easier to burn fat if that's what your goal is, the more muscle you have on your frame. And so if you look at me, I mean, I have a lot of muscle on my body, but I weigh like, and I weigh like 155 pounds. I don't know if people think that's a lot or a little, but I'm a size six, which is like a fairly small dress size for a woman because I'm so compact. And so I think it's important to detach a little bit from the numbers and go, okay, cool. What do I want to look like? And honestly, if you're someone who takes pride in your health and you want to kind of be more aesthetic, 
then there's no getting around weight training being the main form of exercise. Yes, you can do cardio here and there and you should like sprinting and stuff uh, and leisure walking and pay attention to your recovery and yoga and things like that. But like, if you're in the gym, you should be weight training like every day. And I know that that's a little bit of a switch. I think we think, oh, I'll do cardio. And then once I lose weight, then I'll tone up with weights. It's like, no, you, you lose weight with weight training. Now, that's what I agree with 100%. It's one of the reasons why I've become a fan of, of the work that Jill puts out on social media and through her blog, and that's we should be strength training. There are numerous benefits of strength training that go far beyond just the aesthetic appearance. And Jill goes on to talk a little bit more about strength training and how functional training is playing a role. Plus, not only, not only what we do in the gym, but if you really want to be fit, you have to start thinking about what else you do outside of the gym. Well, it's interesting. You know, there's a lot of talk in the last five or 10 years about functional training and like being more functional. And to me, the most functional thing you can possibly do is have muscle on your body. I'll give you an example. I started um, doing, I started uh, snowboarding in like three months ago for the very first time. I'd never even skied before, just never even been on a mountain. And um, I just started, I was, I'm going to take up snow, snowboarding. I'm going to stick with it. And the first like five or six times absolutely sucked because I just just fell all the time. And it was just really painful. And, and if you've never kind of done this kind of thing before, it's similar to like getting in a car accident. Like it's not muscle soreness. It's like blunt trauma. Like it's like bruises, right? So it's not exactly fun, but I kept with it. And around day number seven, um, I did something clicked and I just got it and it doesn't mean it didn't fall again, but it just was much easier. And it started getting really fun. And I was maybe like, yeah, I don't know, maybe 10, 12 days into, to, uh, you know, not every day, but over time. And I fell down and I tweaked my knee and I never, ever usually have injuries. I'm pretty like, I have a lot of muscle in my body. I have pretty big joints and I tweaked my knee and I was really nervous. I was like, wow, I think this might be a ligament thing. I couldn't really tell. It was like, not, a, it was a definitely not an ache and a pain. It was like a sharp pain and it wasn't like debilitating. I could still like walk on it a little bit and this and that. And so I was like, oh, I'm really worried about this. A couple of days later, um, I went to the gym and I'm starting, I feel in a little bit like doing certain things, like a little, like a little pinch. And I still just trained. I was like, you know what? I'm going to see what I can do. I'm going to do some squats. I'll do some lunges. It's not perfect. It doesn't feel great, but literally Pete within like 48 hours, no pain, like no pain, like totally gone. And so I'm not saying that will happen to everyone, but I, but I think you have to move. And I think you have to find ways to exercise and train around injuries and aches and pains. My mom is 67. And every time I'm like, get on her about lifting and she's like, I know, I know, but you know, I'm just, I have this pain and this pain. And what we don't realize is a lot of times those aches and pains will actually get better as a result of getting stronger and stabilizing those joints that have been giving you a lot of, um, a lot of pain or a lot of aches. And that's, and that's, what's hard is because which comes first, the chicken or the egg, do you not train because you're having like these, you know, kind of like mild aches and pains, or do you train, get to a point where you're strengthening the joints, where you're lubricating the joints, where you're getting nutrients into those joints so that they can actually get stronger and get healthier. So over time you don't have pain. This is always something I deal with my clients. And so as you're getting older, I think that it is like you can't get around weight training anymore. If you go to the gym, that should be the number one thing that you do. And if you have time, maybe you should do some cardio, in my opinion. This next question was very important to me. And it comes from a conversation I had with another internet influencer. And that's about body positivity. Now, there's been a lot of talk about body positivity or having a, a positive body image, mostly around people that are carrying extra weight, people that are obese, large people, you know, we want to talk about everybody being comfortable in their body. But there's this also, there's this thing about for people who are extremely fit, they do get a lot of reaction. You know, if you, people that have a lot of muscles, people that are really strong, 
there is a negative. There are people that have negative things to say. So I asked Jill about body positivity as it relates to being a muscular or a strong woman and how does that affect her and what type of things does she hear from people who may be surprised by her overall appearance? Sure. I mean, you know, I, I do get um, every once in a while, you know, you have the typical kind of typically it's from men just saying like, I mean, I've definitely had women say, you know, I don't, I wouldn't really want to look like you or like, that's too much for me or whatever. And, and, and yeah, men will say like, Oh my God, don't beat me up. I've gotten that a lot. Um, you know, you could like, Oh, like, I mean, because here's the thing, Pete is like, when you have muscle on your frame, it is the very first thing people notice about you. It's so rare as a woman, especially. And as a man, I'll be honest, like it just, it's so rare. You go to any mall in America and if you have muscle on your frame, like it's the very first thing that someone's going to notice about you. Cause it's just, they, if they, before they even talk to you, they can see that you're a fit person. And I think most of us want to connect human to human. So that in my experience has been the way that people want to connect with me if they're, if they don't know me and it's fine. Cause I mean, they, how else would they connect with me? Otherwise it's the first thing that they notice. And so I don't really, I don't take it personally and I don't feel shame around it because it's my choice. Like if I didn't want to, to get comments about having muscle, then I would just run my ass off and it, it would all go away. Um, but I, but I, so it's a conscious choice and I have, and at times I get triggered cause I'm just like, what's up with this? And it feels like it's maybe an insult, but what I have found is it's actually a compliment and a way of connecting. It's like, it's a way of connecting, especially for a man talking about like more of like a heterosexual kind of way, but like if a man makes a comment about my body that is, you know, could be taken a, a, like a bunch of different ways. I try to take it as a compliment. Cause I'm just like, Oh, like something about me maybe triggers in him that he wants to be more fit or that he wishes he had more muscle or something like that. And so that's a generalization, but for me that has worked in order to shift my mindset around it. And also I just own it. Like, I love it. Like to me. And I also, I'm around a lot of other fit people. And I think the more fit you get, the more you tend to hang out with people who that's their value system as well. So to be honest with you, I just am not even exposed to people who would either not like it, not appreciate it or make blatant comments about it. And so again, you can pick your circumstances, you can pick your environment, you can pick who you hang out with, and you can also pick your perception when you hear those comments. I mean, yes, we can have a whole separate conversation around should people even comment on other people's bodies, period. And I think that's a good conversation. I don't think I'm an expert at that conversation. I'm more an expert at choosing your perception and choosing your perspective to make it work for you. And I always try to give people the benefit of the doubt and just look at it like maybe something about me is is triggering an insecurity in them or they're just trying to connect with me. Maybe this is a, supposed to be a compliment. And so I'm like, cool. Then, and that's how I take it. One of the things that many people do or one of the things that people do who exercise quite a bit, we tend to beat ourselves up, right? Is if maybe we had a great weekend, maybe we overindulged, we didn't make it to the gym, but we had you know really fun at a party or, or maybe we ate a little bit more than we should have. We tend to beat ourselves up. You know how that feels. And I'm sure you've been there before. You go to the gym on a Monday or after not being there for a couple of days, like, oh, I've got to pay the price. I haven't been here for a while. Or maybe you know, you got a little bit looser in your diet. You stopped paying attention to some of the healthy things. And so you beat yourself up. That was the question I asked Jill was how does she coach people? How does she keep people from, from falling into that trap of where they kind of punish themselves with either food or exercise? Yeah. I mean, one thing to remember is that, you know, I try to remember is like, it's not tit for tat. It's not like, oh, I ate this. So I have to burn this off. It's not, and your metabolism doesn't work that way anyway. So it's not like, oh, if you eat a donut, that's, you know, 400 calories that if you go to the gym and burn 400 calories on the elliptical, like all of a sudden you're back to zero. That's not the way the metabolism works. I think 
<laughs> right. I mean, we think, we think that that's the way it works, but really your metabolism is fluid. It's changing every day, depending on different inputs, not just food, not just exercise, but sleep and stress and emotional, you know, kind of interactions and all these different things. And I mean, environmental stuff. So we have to keep in mind that it's all cumulative. It's not just tit for tat. And so I try to think about my exercise as cool. Like, did I exercise most days this week? Amazing. I think sometimes we tend to think, okay, if I went to the gym straight for two weeks and I did really quote good, and then I took three weeks off that those other two weeks just don't matter. And that's not true. Like those still count too, just because you had a little bit of a lapse or you had a little bit of reset, like those still count too. Same thing with eating. You know, if you eat healthy for like a week and then you have like one bad day of eating, remember it's cumulative. It's not just like, oh, everything's out the window. I think we tend to default to this all or nothing kind of um, maybe uh, like all or nothing, black and white kind of uh, there's this finite amount of success we can have. It's like, you can have as much success as you want and you have to kind of see these things as cumulative. I always think about my choices are moving me on a spectrum, either towards more health or away from health. And so those, and those, those steps are just minute. They're tiny little, every single choice that we have. And so if you have a bad day of eating or you have a few days of, you know, missing the gym or even a couple weeks of missing the gym, like that's just not going to make a big deal. It's not going to make or break your physique. And so a physique is not made or broken in a day or a week or even a month really it comes down to on the whole how are you doing it's not these like tit for tat burn this get this reward this earn this and i think sometimes again that's just the way our minds work in this kind of all or nothing way of doing things or all is lost if we don't i always say like nothing is irreversible like you can make a good choice at your next meal and it doesn't mean that you're behind i think we have this mentality of like oh i'm i'm already actually someone tagged me in a post this morning that was like, oh, I did physique, the physique week workout. And I did an extra 30 minutes of cardio afterwards because I skipped cardio last week. And I'm like, cool. Like it's not, again, it's just on the, it's on the whole. It's not to say that stuff is bad. I think from a psychological perspective, it can be detrimental. If you're getting caught up in the minutia of, I need to do this because I ate this. I think that psychologically that's very burdensome. And so you have to ask yourself like, cool, am I okay showing myself compassion and just moving on from it? Um, in terms of nutrition, Specifically, I call this the, uh, there are some serious kind of consequences to doing excessive exercise. So if you feel like you had a bad weekend of eating and you wake up on Monday morning and you're like, oh my God, I need to do, I used to do this all the time, by the way, two hours of cardio because I was so bad over the weekend, that two hours of cardio, you might think you're just burning calories, but actually there's definitely some serious hormonal implications. Your hunger is going to be higher. Your cravings are going to be higher, right? Your, your energy might be unstable throughout the day and even throughout the week. And so just because you're burning calories doesn't mean that that impact is benign on your hormonal uh, effects. So what that means is, yes, you did more cardio, you burn more calories, but also now you're hungrier. Now you are uh, craving more. So you might end up eating more compensatory from a compensatory response. And then what happens? You have to exercise more because you ate more. And so it's this kind of feed forward cycle that you have to jump out of at some point. And so for me, it's cutting down on the amount of exercise and your appetite and your cravings will adapt. Everyone knows this. If you're listening to this and you've ever trained for a half marathon or a marathon, like you know that the more exercise you do, the more hungry you are, the more cravings you have. And so you have to take into consideration those things too. Okay, two things. First of all, I understand going back through this and going through this, I realized the mistake that I made. Number one, before Jill and I started talking, I hit mute on the recording program because where I have my recording studio set up is not too far from uh, 
the facilities. And so before Jill and I, before I uh, started talking with Jill, I obviously had to go get rid of some of the coffee I was drinking. So I hit mute on the microphone just in case Jill came online. She wouldn't be, she, the first thing she heard wouldn't, well, you know, anyway. So I had mute on. So the conversation was going, but I wasn't recording my end. So I realized the error I made. For those of you listening to this, hopefully this is flowing. For the next question, I ask a little bit more specifically about metabolism. A lot of us realize that exercise can change our muscles. A lot of us realize that exercise might change your cardiorespiratory system. But the system in your body that probably has the most or receives the greatest impact from exercise is your endocrine system. And the endocrine system is the one that's responsible for producing hormones. And hormones are the chemicals that control what the cells in your body do. So in this answer, Jill is talking about the relationship between metabolism, hormones, and the type of activity that you do. Yeah. So I like to think about your metabolism as like tires on a car. So again, it's not just this in versus out calories in versus calories out. Do, do calories matter? Absolutely. They're extremely important, but that doesn't mean that our, that it's 100% about calories. There's, there's hormonal implications based on, you know, the, the type of exercise that you do, the amount of exercise that you do, uh, duration, the, uh, the stress that you're under, the, if you're skimping on sleep, the emotional interactions that you're having, all of these things impact our metabolism, how fast or slow our metabolism is going to be and how it responds to outside inputs and, and how willing it is to release fat or where it releases fat from. And so all of that to say that what happens sometimes is when we start to do this more penance type punishment type exercise is we're doing more and more and we automatically think that more exercise is better. But what happens is you're putting more mileage on your metabolism, just like you are in a car, right? Like your tires get and the traction goes down and same thing with your metabolism, putting all this kind of maybe yo-yo dieting, or if you're someone who has been a chronic dieter in the past, or you've lost and gained a whole bunch of weight multiple times, like I have, that's not benign on the metabolism. Your metabolism doesn't just respond the same exact way every single time. It actually stops losing traction, just like tires on a car stop losing traction over time. And so you're putting more mileage on your metabolism through doing a lot of kind of maybe yo-yo dieting, chronic dieting, uh, excessive exercise, skimping on food. That's not benign. There's serious hormonal implications to the point where, you know, sometimes your metabolism is not going to respond the same way. Um, I got to this point when I was, I was actually a competitor for a long time and I was doing two to three hours of cardio a day and literally my body was not changing. So the first time I dieted, completely changed. Like, and with my clients too, first time you ever diet, like your, your body responds pretty quickly, in fact, and pretty dramatically. But over time, the things that you used to do that were working are no longer working. And I think if you're listening to this, you probably had this experience in some way. Maybe the first time you joined Weight Watchers, you lost 30 pounds and then you left and then maybe you gained the weight back. And then a couple of years later, you're like, well, I need to go back to Weight Watchers. It was the only thing that worked for me. You go back and it just doesn't work the same way. And so realize that your metabolism is always changing, especially with age too, with inputs, with all this kind of stuff. And so the getting to the point of diminishing returns means like you're doing more and it's actually not helping. It's actually not improving your outcomes. It's, you're not getting the physique outcomes. And in fact, it might even be detrimental because now your metabolism is less responsive. And also you have the psychological burden of having to do more exercise all the time just to see the same result. And so um, I think that you have to find that sweet spot. You have to find the top of the bell-shaped curve where you get the most bang for your buck. And in, in just from a prescriptive perspective, to me, it's mostly weight training, 
uh, a little bit of high intensity interval cardio mixed in, and then set a lot of more restorative exercise, like leisure walking, you know, yoga, Tai Chi, things that are very like kind of low impact having that. Cause that's going to really impact your hormones as well. And so I know we use the word hormones. It can be like anything, but just realize that it's anything outside of calories in versus calories out. And that's not benign to the metabolism as well. Okay. Whew, man, I'm glad I figured out what I did wrong. So it wasn't the computer. It wasn't the program. It was an operator error. Again, the reason why you're hearing all this editing back and forth is uh, when I record this interview, I accidentally had my mic on mute. So Jill could hear me. We had the conversation, but it was not recording my end of it. So what I've had to do is recreate all this information. So I basically have recreated the conversation that Jill and I did or Jill and I had by cutting in this. So it's going to force me to be a little bit more. I have to pay attention a little bit more in the future. Make sure mute is not on before I start the conversation. So Jill, thank you for bearing with me. This is where I wrap up the interview. I asked Jill first, I do not have this on fast. Jill was talking fast because she had a very limited window of time and I was trying to get a lot in there. So she was really doing a great job of answering my questions and getting a lot of information out there. If you enjoy this interview and you're a big fan of Jill like I am, this is where she talks about her programs that she has going on and how you can stay in touch with her or find out about what she has going on with JillFit.com. Uh, yeah. Thanks for asking. Um, you know, I think the best way is if you want to follow me on Insta, it's just at Jill Fit or at Moderation365. You're specifically interested in nutrition content and kind of some of the hormonal stuff we talked about uh, and the psychological parts of eating. Go to at Moderation365 and then at Jill Fit. And then if you go to JillFit.com um, and you could just sign up for my email newsletter anywhere on the site and you will get all the good stuff delivered to your inbox. I usually send an email like every week or every couple of weeks to my people. Before I do the conclusion for this episode, I just want to remind you that you can join me and your favorite fitness industry personalities at Idea World 2019. Idea World is going on in Anaheim from June 26th to June 30th, and it's going to be the most rewarding investment you'll ever make. You can come and interact and connect with your favorite fitness personalities that you've always wanted to meet and get hands-on education that you can implement right away. Whether you're a fitness professional or you're a fitness enthusiast, you are going to learn a lot at Idea World 2019. You can get firsthand best practices on powerful and effective training and group training programs, how to do groundbreaking movement, nutrition, and behavior change strategies that make a difference with your clients and the people that you influence. You'll learn how to lead, manage, sell, market, and grow a bulletproof fitness business just like Jill. And now Jill is not Jill will not be at Idea World 2019, but she has a killer online business. And if you go to online, if, and if you go to Idea World 2019, you too can learn how to run online training programs similar to how Jill does it. So keep in mind, Idea World 2019, you can use code PETE19. That's code PETE19 to save $30 off the price at Idea World 2019. I'm going to have information below in the show notes. That's PETE, PETE19, to save $30 off the price for going to Idea World 2019. That's what. So, first of all, <laughs> I made a couple mistakes with this interview. I guess I was nervous about having it. I really, I'm a fan of Jill, like I said. And the reason why, here's why I'm a fan of her. That's because I mentioned a little bit in the interview. I've lived in the world, well, I didn't really mention it because my part was cut off. Again, it was my mistake. I had mute on. The mic was live. We were having a conversation, but I had mute on the recording program. So it didn't record my track during the conversation. So I had to recreate that. One of the reasons why 
I'm intrigued by Jill and other people like Molly Galbraith and, and Jen Sinkler are, I've lived in the continuing education world for yeah, 15 years. In continuing education, that's where we go around and we do workshops, we speak at conferences for other trainers to, to help them can get their continuing education credits. If you earn a certification to be a trainer, instructor, or strength coach, you need to do a certain amount of continuing education every two years to maintain that certification. So my, a large part of my business has been in that world doing those workshops. Well, in the last maybe eight, seven or eight years, as social media has grown, you know, as Instagram and other social media platforms, you've had this whole new evolution of fitness experts like Jill and like other people out there who don't do the same stuff that I do. I go around the country and I speak and I teach and I do that. And that's how we get out in front. That's traditionally for years, that's how we promoted fitness was at these conferences and these workshops. Well, the reason why Jill is so intriguing to me or people like Jill is they've kind of bypassed that and they're going straight to consumer. So she's figured out how to crack the code to use Instagram, to use email, to use our websites. And rather than what we did for years, if you were, if you wanted to be a trainer for years, you had to go work for a gym or you had to open up a studio. There's a lot of expense involved. Now you can be a very successful trainer with an online presence. And that's why I'm intrigued by Jill is that's maybe where I want to go with what I'm doing with all about fitness is I have the background and knowledge. I have the passion to help people. That's one of the reasons why I'm doing the podcast is to give you information that can help enhance your quality of life. That's why I wrote my book, Smarter Workouts, to give you information of how exercise can enhance your quality of life. And I am fascinated by these people that are training and influencing hundreds and thousands of people without ever darkening the door of a gym. You know, Jill's writing programs and other people, other online trainers out there are writing programs that are getting people sweating. They're changing lives. You know, people like me have been working in gyms for our entire career, and we haven't touched a tenth. We haven't touched thousands of the people that some of these Instagram influencers have. That's why I like having these conversations. I want to know what they're doing differently. I want to know where their energy is, where their motivation is. So really, Jill is no different than many trainers. She just made the decision that rather than spending her time in a brick and mortar facility, that she can have more influence, that she can be out there reaching more people, sharing her message, really helping other people learn how to use fitness by doing it non-traditionally, by going electronically and do it digitally. That's why I'm intrigued by Jill. That's why I'm intrigued by others living in this space is they're doing things, they're getting out there. If you're a fan of Jill, you know what I'm talking about. You know how, you know, whether it's her Instagram feed or something that she posts or an article that she's featuring in, gets you motivated. It's very practical. So what I like about this, this episode, though, is it's mistake-driven. I, I hit record late. I had my mute button on. But you know what? It's going to work. And, and hopefully, you know, it doesn't darken. And hopefully it doesn't kind of um, drop my, you know, my status in Jill's eyes or in your eyes. You know, I, I try to put this podcast out. Of course, I'm going to make mistakes. But I did not want to spike this interview. I was so stoked to get it. Jill, again, I'm, I'm a big fan. Thank you for your patience with that. For listeners, thank you for putting up with, uh, with the editing job I did today. Trust me, it's going to be straight up interviews. I'm not changing the format. That's very choppy. It's a lot of extra work. But hey, I'm the one who made the mistake. I kept the mute button on. I didn't realize it. Uh, I'm going to have to get better. Like I said, I'm using a new recording program online and uh, just a whole learning curve. Thanks for dropping by. I look forward to having you join me for future episodes of All About Fitness.